Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is uh, October the 9th, 2012, and this is episode 994 of the Survival Podcast. We missed yesterday's show. I've got some kind of crud, and uh, you know, I mean, I'm just kind of fighting through it today. But yesterday, uh, when I started trying to record the show, I was doing a listener feedback show. And by the time I got to the second uh, email, I was like, this this sucks. This just sucks. Uh, it's terrible quality. Uh, I am not delivering, so I, uh, I canned yesterday's show. And we're not going to do a listener feedback show today. Uh, when I first started doing the feedback shows, people thought it was like my fallback. Like, you know, because you could take, instead of doing a, a whole subject with all the research, you just take questions and, and bang them out. Listener feedback shows take more work, more effort, and more delivery uh, than anything else that I do. Uh, whether it's call-in or email, doesn't really matter. There's so much diversity there. There's so many different components. There's always something somewhat political or somewhat, you know, infringement upon liberty. It requires passion, uh, and it requires me to be on the top of my game to do those shows. They are not, I mean, like I said, when I first started doing it, some people said it was like my fallback. They are not my fallback show. Uh, those are the shows. Some of you guys don't really like the feedback shows, especially the call-in ones. And uh, every time I meet people out, out and about, they always say, you need to promote the call-in shows more because I didn't think I'd like them. When I started listening to them, I found them to be some of the best there. So, <laughs> unfortunately, you can hear the, the voice still shaking a little bit. We won't be doing that today. I do have an interesting show for you, though. I've had a flurry of emails lately, especially since I've made comments on... EROL or excessive rule of law and how there would be pockets of without rule of law or WROL about guns and uh, specifically you know from people that are not really well versed in guns they don't know a lot about guns they maybe have one gun they've shot a little bit but maybe they're sitting on a 22 and maybe a handgun and they're, they're, they're worried about a rifle and they want either an AK or an AR or maybe they're just thinking maybe it's time to get a 1022 and they're more worried about being able to feed themselves because they live out in a rural area or something like that. And when I get these emails, the first thing I think of for all of these guys when they don't have one is a shotgun. So that's what today's show is going to be about. It's going to be called Why the Shotgun is the Ultimate Survival Weapon. And uh, if you disagree with that contention, that's okay. And if you're a well-versed gun guy and you've already got a shotgun and you've got your AR and maybe you've got a couple AKs and you've got a whole, then, then maybe this is not really uh, a big deal for you. But I, I want you to understand there's a lot of your fellow citizens out there that are just trying to figure out how to protect what they have, maintain uh, some level of order uh, within their own communities if things start to break down. And for them... Especially, I think the shotgun is really a great survival tool. But to me, it's my go-to weapon. If you break into my house and you end up getting shot, you're probably getting shot with buckshot. Uh, because I know it works. Uh, because I'm well-versed with the weapon. Uh, because at the ranges of home defense, it's probably the most um, immediate stopping tool that exists. There's a lot of myths around shotguns. We'll cover some today as well. Uh, but before we get into that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, Survival Gear Bags. Kelly John Doe, man. Kelly's been around as part of our community forever. Some of you know him as Cart Pusher on the forums. Survival Gear Bags actually came about 
many, many years ago, many years ago, it's about three years ago, I guess three and a half years ago, as I started doing a survival podcast, Kelly looked at it and as being part of a company that did merchandising work, said, hey, maybe I can do something with this. And he talked to his boss and they partnered together and they put together this site. And they've been giving discounts to our audience for about two and a half years now through the Member Support Brigade. They've always done a great job. They've got some great stuff. Uh, bags and the stuff to go in the bags. So that's, that's what you're looking at, survival gear bags. Check them out today, survivalgearbags.com. They also have uh, two really cool specials for TSP members only. Not MSB, TSP. Anybody can get the specials, but MSB members can get the discount on top of the specials. I'll put links to those in today's show uh, notes. Next up today, uh, Safe Castle Royal. I call them the original survival podcast sponsor because they've been around longer than anybody else. They were the first company that said, hey, Jack, we really want to sponsor what you're doing. We want to be part of it. How do we do this officially? And I talked to Vic when he first said that. I said, look, man, I don't think I'm ready to take your money as a sponsor yet. I'm not, I don't have a big enough audience yet. So I built it up to a few thousand. And as that was going on, I, I determined how I wanted to run my sponsorship program. And I put them through the ringer, so to speak. Uh, they were the first ones to go in and come out the other side squeaky clean. And from that day on, they've been taking care of this audience, and they have everything you can think of uh, for your prepping needs. Check them out today. They're at prepared.pro, prepared.pro. And, of course, they have a discount membership club. It's a lifetime membership, one-time $49. You get discounts from them the rest of your life. And our member support brigade members get that for free, effectively making your first year of MSB a dollar. These are the type of sponsors I want, folks, people that are actively engaged in our community. That's why not everybody gets in. I get emails every day from people, and it's really not an exaggeration. I want to sponsor your show. I'm like, I don't know you from Adam. I've never heard of you before, and at this point, I'm not even putting people like that on the list. If they don't demonstrate that they actually know something about our group, they don't qualify to be a sponsor. It's a special thing, and I don't say it all the time, but once in a while I reiterate it because I want you to know that. I don't see my job as selling advertising. I see it as serving this community, and the advertisers that I bring to the table are one way that I do that. I'm going to go ahead and stop the uh, the intro there and skip some of the stuff we usually talk about and just get into it because I, I do think this is important. Um, I think the first thing that we have to look at when people are looking at a survival weapon or a survival tool or a self-sufficiency weapon, a self-sufficiency tool, um, is what is its role? What, what, what do we what do we need? Uh, you know, what are its what do we need from it? And when we look at a weapon, one of the very first things I want to know is: Will it help me protect myself, my family, and my my property in a defensive standpoint? Um, if you want to look at a tool for force on force engagement, uh, squad level assaults, and stuff like that. Uh, the, the guys that'll tell you it's all about the AR, it's all about the main battle rifle, or it's the AK, or it's the FNFAL, or whatever. Uh, they're right. I mean, there's a role for the shotgun to fill, at, you know, in, in you know close quarters combat. Uh, a lot of the stuff that our troops are doing today, most of the guys are armed with ARs, but there's usually a, a shotgun or two, uh, you know, at a squad level or something like that for certain specific roles. SWAT teams, even when they're armed with ARs, are also always have a few guys running shotguns. But when it comes to that force-on-force -force role, there's a reason that soldiers carry, you know, what we would call a battle rifle. And today's show is not meant in any way to cast any kind of a dark cloud on that tool for what it is. It is what it is. Um, I own ARs. I own several other weapons that you know people would call assault rifles, and that's such a politicized term. It it sucks that the term's been ruined because that's what they are. Um, but uh, they've made made that out like to be a bad word. I don't I don't find it to be a bad word to say assault rifle. That's what it is. 
Um, and I don't think that there needs to be any additional regulation on them over something like a Remington 7400 semi-automatic 3006 that's magazine-fed. That's not an assault rifle, but the same basic design with a 223 called an AR is in the mind of a politician. I don't want to go down that road. I just want to point out as we begin this, this is not to say that like you should just throw away your ARs and your detachable magazines and all that other stuff. Or it's not to say that they're not better than the shotgun at filling certain roles as a specialty weapon. As a battlefield implement, they are the best that's available today. And that's why armies and Marine Corps, etc., all around the world carry them as primary battle weapons. But that's not our job. That's not what we're doing when it comes to defending our house or defending our backyard. And, you know, these people that are like, well, I can make a 300-yard shot. Well, so can I. But you're going to have a damn hard time explaining how you were, you know, op, you know, uh, operating in a self-defense mode at 300 yards. I'm not saying it's not possible, but I'm saying that it's not likely. And again, it's not that there's not a place for the scoped rifle or the assault rifle, but we're talking about the person that says, I want the most versatile tool that'll do the most for me today. That's what I want you to understand. So protection from a defensive position, the shotgun is one of the ultimate tools for that. Now, there are myths. You don't have to aim. My ass. I want you to make a fist. Look at your fist like where you're looking at like where the palm would be if it was open, and look at the, you know, the diameter of your fist there. That's roughly the size of a shotgun pattern at about seven yards. See that? Um, so if you are off by more than that, you hit nothing. You have to aim a shotgun. Now, aiming a 16, 18, 22-inch barrel somewhere in that range at seven yards by pointing it, it's actually really easy to do. Uh, you're not likely to miss if you are thinking and you're active, you've actually practiced and you know you don't have to take careful aim or anything, but it's not a function of the weapon's spread or how big of an area it covers. It's a function of a long barrel and an instinctive point uh, type tool. And the reality is when loaded with certain loads, specifically buckshot, at home defense ranges, the wounds that a shotgun creates are horrific. And that's the only word to describe them. So much so that in World War I, um, the last thing you wanted to be if you were captured by the enemy in the trenches was the guy holding the shotgun. Uh, you were hated beyond the way that, that one side would hate the other side's enemy. I mean, it, it was something that you know, if you're over one, you're going to get caught, you discard it. Um, because of what could happen to you when you were found out to be a shotgunner. This is the type of wound that these things uh, provide. And what that means is the person who's not really skilled and hits somebody in the leg with one in defense of their home, not because they aimed at the leg to be a nice guy and what have you, they're going to blow their leg off. This is not, but it's going to create a horrific wound. And even with a leg wound, something that might be superficial with a handgun is more likely, not guaranteed, but more likely to create a one-stop shot environment. Hit in the chest, neck, face, head, uh, at home defense ranges. It's a freak, weird, coincidence, you know, some kind of perfect alignment when a person continues after a strike like that. Um, it does happen. There was a guy that tried to rob a convenience store across the street from my dad, had his gas station down in Jacksonville, Florida. He came in. He put a, a pistol to the head of the girl behind the counter. Uh, another individual that was working the store had a shotgun underneath the uh, table, pulled it out, 
and bl- literally blew the side of the guy's head off. Uh, the guy that was creating, you know, that was that was committing the robbery, dropped his weapon, stumbled backwards, ran through the door, and ran about 30 yards down the road, and then fell over dead with with half of his head missing. So there's that's something that's very important for people to understand. If you're looking for something that guarantees one stop, in, one shot, instant kill, it, it doesn't. It, it's not going to happen. You can get a high preponderance of that, but the story that I just told you should tell you that that, that you know that person instead of exercising the instinct to run away could have exercised an instinct to just pull the trigger and kill the girl who had the gun pointed at her head. So. It's, there's never a guarantee, but what we're looking for is to stack the odds in our favor uh, if we are in a situation where we have to use lethal force. To me, the shotgun does that more so than any rifle round because of the type of traumatic injury it causes, either with slugs or with buckshot. And we'll get to ammo types in a bit. Uh, but we want one shot, shot stopping power potential, the highest potential for it. And I don't know of anything that has a higher potential than a shotgun, especially at defensive ranges. We want a reasonable rate of fire. We'll talk about actions in a minute, but obviously a single-shot shotgun has a lot of versatility. It's a field tool, but it does not have a reasonable rate of fire. You shoot, you break it open, the shell flies out, you put another one in, you shoot again. Yes, there are people that are very fast at doing that, but they would be much faster with a pump or a semi-auto. Um, but a good pump or semi-auto shotgun definitely offers a reasonable rate of fire, especially in home defensive situations, breakdown situations, and things like that. Well, something that's accurate at defensive ranges. I consider defensive ranges in these types of scenarios that are most likely to occur somewhere between 7 and 50 yards. And I find the shotgun to be more than adequately accurate at 7 uh, to 50 yards, including a plain old smoothboard 870 Remington with bead sights on it with a foster slug. Um, you can You can hit human-sized targets. You can hit gallon milk jugs at that range if you practice and know where your weapon shoots. Uh, there's some ways you can enhance that range, but we'll get to that in a bit. But I consider it to fill that role. And then here's the big one. You want it to be able to fill multiple roles, right? So I don't just want a defensive tool and a survival weapon. So I want to go through some of the roles here. We've talked about it already, but we want to protect property and life. That's one of our roles. Shotgun says, I've already made a case to you, do that well. Um, But in addition to the potential to have to use a weapon to defend our home, defend our family, defend our community, we may actually have to feed ourselves with it. Now, if we're in an area where we can go out and take a medium to large game animal, that's a lot of meat. It provides sustenance for quite a while. And will a shotgun do that well for you? With something like double O buck, a 12-gauge shotgun is a reasonable tool to take medium-sized game like deer out to about 15 to 20 yards. Um, I know people have done it further, you know, really tight choke constrictions and all. It's not a good idea. Buckshot is a, is, is a big pile of round balls. Um, you, I think there's usually about 9 to a 12-gauge uh, double O buck. And I think they're about 32, 33 caliber, something like that. I don't remember off the top of my head. But they are a, the round ball loses velocity faster than just about any other projectile that we purposely send downrange. Certainly much faster than something like a bullet, which is shaped, let's say, a little bit football-like, but not really. Right? It just doesn't have the ability to fly as well, so it loses its energy. And I've seen people make good hits on deer with double O buck at, let's say, 30 yards. And I've seen the deer just kind of 
jolt around and run off, severely wounded but unable to be tracked down. So I consider the buckshot in there a short-range tool that's effective at the ranges it's intended to be used about. And to me, that's about 15, 20 yards. Um, now, Foster-style slugs, and I don't want to go too deep into this yet, but a Foster-style slug is not these new fancy slugs with a sabo around them designed to go through a rifled barrel. It's a great big hunk of lead sort of shaped like a bullet. Right, rounded in the front, little dimple in it like a hollow point, flat or a cone base, and it's and it it's got a wad behind it, and you shoot it out like a big old musket ball. If you can hit the vitals at 50 yards, it is damn deadly at 50 yards, and it is damn deadly past that on medium-sized, large game, and two-legged rats. And I think most people, if they'll go out and practice, even without iron sights, you can get to where you can hit targets within the range of a kill zone, out to 50 yards. So this makes it a 50-yard medium game tool, and we can extend that range with other variables. But even an out-of-the-box, smoothbore, improved cylinder choked, 870 pump shotgun, you should be able to take game of that size out to 50 yards. Now, nothing that we've talked about right now is really anything that a good AR wouldn't be able to do. In fact, the AR will do most of that better, It won't really do a good job on medium to large game. A lot of deer have been killed with a 223 or 556, depending on whether you're using the civilian or military nomenclature. But it's not a good deer round. There's not a deer hunter out there that says, this is the perfect deer round. We can move up in scale to something like an AR-10 platform with 7.62 or 308 Winchester, right? And that is going to do a better job than the shotgun on medium-sized game. And if you ever ended up in a long-range confrontation with somebody that's armed, because uh, it can happen. You could be in a defensive position and 100 yards or more away from an adversary. It's not the most likely thing, but it has. You know, it happens in battlefields every day. Then something like that's a better tool. So if that's the case, how does the shotgun pull ahead? The shotgun pulls ahead in that it will also scale down, which you can't do with an AR-15. If you're really good and you can make sure you hit a squirrel in the head, you can take a scroll with an AR and not completely destroy it. If you hit it anywhere other than the head, I'm talking even in the, the neck joint in the body, it pretty much explodes. All right. Now, now take this to something like a morning dove uh, or a quail. Or, you know, if it's bad enough and you just need something to eat, any, any bird out there. Or, or really small game like, let's say, red squirrel or chipmunk. I mean, don't think you can't get to where you're that hungry. It, it, it can happen, right? So, and I'm going to the extreme to make a point. Something like, you're going to laugh if you don't know the truth, snipes. You know what a snipe is? You ever hear snipe hunting? You give the guy the bag, and he holds the bag, and you chase the snipes out, and it's a joke, and you leave him there, and he ends up having to walk home or whatever. It's funny, but there really is a bird called a snipe. You can you can look it up if you want to. It's a very small, uh, migratory, federally protected migratory game bird that is a game bird. It's hunted. It has seasons, and uh, usually falls under the same regulations of things like doves and ducks and things like that. Uh, woodcock. Woodcock is a good-eating uh, bird. Uh, some people call them uh, timber doodles. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of these smaller game animals that are routinely hunted that are considered good food. Are you going to shoot those with your AR-15 or your AK-47? How about knocking a goose out of the air? I mean, even if you hit it, if you hit it in the body, you, you don't end up with because the whole reason you're shooting it is to eat it, not just to kill it. And you've got to be a damn good shot to start knocking geese or ducks out of there, especially something fast-moving like teal. 
uh, or wood ducks. Or I want to see the guy that can knock a, a rough grouse out of the air with an AR. Uh, that guy I want on my team. I don't want him shooting my grouse, cause, but if he can do it, I'm impressed. But see, the shotgun, by scaling down to birdshot, even with a plain Jane, again, improved cylinder barrel, kind of out-of-the-box shape, just by changing ammunition can fill all of these roles. And nothing can do that. The 22 can't do that. The 22 can be a defensive tool, but it's not a great one. A 22 does not have the knockdown power of a Foster Slugger 00 buck at home defense radius. It doesn't. And, and we can do the same things I'm talking about. Mostly here I'm, I'm focusing on the 12 gauge because it's the most popular. Anything you can do with the 12, you can do with the 20. Just the 12 does it a little bit better at a little bit longer range with a little bit more shot density. But a 20 gauge is a great tool as well. The ammo is a little less common in all the different varieties, but it's there. And uh, But just understand, you can do anything I'm talking about today relatively well with a 12 or a 20. You can say a 16, but a lot of the options as far as uh, is shot sizes and uh, slug options and stuff just aren't there. I consider the 410, the 28, the small bores, I consider them specialized, really neat things to play around with, but they're not for this role. And things like the 10-gauge, I just see ammo availability being an issue and... Uh, It doesn't buy you that much for what you abuse yourself uh, as far as weight and recoil on, on most of the guns that shoot it. But to me, this is the biggest case I can make to you for the shotgun of being the best all-around survival tool. It'll do 99% of what you would ever expect to run into from a defensive situation. I, I would say more like 99.5. And then it'll scale back and be this great hunting tool that I can shoot anything from an elk uh, down to a, a, you know, a, a small game bird like a dove with. And I can do that by changing ammunition. I can certainly do things like barrels, sighting options, and things like that we'll get to in a bit that would enhance its ability to scale up. But I don't have to. Again, I could take this thing out of the box, like, like drawing a sword from a scabbard and use it, you know, it would be like being able to draw a sword from a scabbard to, uh, to fight, you know, a samurai sword fight with back in the day that would still be intricate enough of a cutting tool to finally dice onions. That's, that's what a shotgun is by changing ammo. Um, real quick, let's look at shotgun types, uh, and I'm not going to go too deep into this today because you can make a whole show on just you know shotgun uh, types. And what I mean is actions. Now, an action is simply how the weapon functions. So, if we have a semi-auto, we pull the trigger, the bolt comes back when we fire, ejects a shell, and loads a new one. That's the action. And the most Basic action in a shotgun is called the uh, the break action. And you can either have a single shot or a double barreled shotgun. Now there are things called drillings that might be something like two shotgun barrels over a rifle. That's specialized. We're not going in that today. But they are very cool, very popular uh, back in the day with African hunters. Sometimes there's two rifle barrels over one shotgun. I've seen them with like 9.75R, which is like this old uh, colonial days, uh, you know, kind of a modest sized elephant gun. So elephants, lions, cape buffalo with a 20 gauge barrel underneath it, uh, where they could use it for shooting sand grouse, or if they went in after a wounded lion, they could have that 20 gauge loaded up with buck as a third shot, uh, or for a close range uh, uh, stop of a charge. But for us today, we're talking about the basic double barrel and, and single barrel break action shotguns. They do provide a lot of versatility. There's you know adapters you can get for them that would allow a 12 gauge to shoot 20 gauge shells. Why would you want to do that? Practice with the same gun with less recoil. 
because um, that's what you can find. That's what you can get your hands on uh, because you're shooting something like quail over dogs where you're taking very short-range shots at a small bird. How much killing does it really need uh, to become a better shot? Because you're, you're, you're reducing your pattern size and pattern density. So if you practice with a 20, you'll often do much better with a 12 when you pick one up. But yet you have the same. So there's all kinds of reasons you'd want to have adapters. There's even adapters that would allow you to do things like fire 38 special, 9mm, 22 long rifle, uh, things like that I've seen out of shotguns that are, that are kind of cool. And most of those adapters will only work for you with the brake action. So that's something they bring to the table. But to me, The reduced rate of fire kind of makes it, it's an interesting backpacking tool, uh, you know, kind of bushcrafting implement, things like that. Dave Canterbury has a whole series called 21st Century Long Hunter where he talks about using an NEF single shot shotgun that way. It's kind of the modern day equivalent to the old school, you know, smoothbore musket. And it's interesting and it's cool, but If you want a survival tool, as far as I'm concerned, that ain't it. Because I, I don't meet my, my requirement of a reasonable rate of fire. Uh, there's a bolt action that I only put in there because if I don't, somebody like, you have the bolt action out. There's bolt action shotguns because I have people that ha feel that they need to point out anything that's left out. Um, and that's okay if that's you, but I just, I don't get it. To me, bolt action shotguns are sort of a novelty. Uh, they do have that reasonable rate of fire. There's not a lot of manufacturers that make them. I don't know of anybody that actually makes them anymore. Maybe there's some that are, yeah, there are some, but they are really specialized hunting tools for big game, for shooting slugs uh, that use a rifled barrel and what's called a sabo, which actually allows you to shoot a smaller caliber projectile, something like a .45 caliber uh, bullet that would go into something like a .45-70 out of a 12-gauge shotgun. I know there are some bolt shotguns that do that. I've never really looked into them. They're really made specifically because there's states where you can't hunt deer with a rifle. Uh, they're considered, or areas in some states as well, where you can't hunt deer with a rifle because they feel that you're too close to densely populated areas and shotguns have reduced ranges. So a lot of manufacturers have started to cater these more accurate, longer range slugs to the shotgun uh, crowd, which kind of changes the whole dynamic. And I wonder if some of these uh, regulated areas eventually will say, you know what, we didn't mean that kind of shotgun slug because now you have a range equivalent to a rifle and we're not worried about you having the ability to cure deer, kill a deer. We're worried about the the carrying, how far that round can go. Uh, so most of these shotgun-only zones in some states and entire states, Ohio, I think, is shotgun-only for deer statewide. They, they were talking about the old foster slugs where the, the original um, law came from. And they just don't, you know, once they get out past 100 yards, they just start to shed energy like crazy, and they, they just have this rainbow trajectory, and they're just a big, soft chunk of lead. And when they hit something like a rock or a tree, they just kind of flatten out, and they don't go bouncing. You don't hear, Pong! you know, that type of thing. So um, that's where some of these, these bolt-action shotguns fill the roles today. The old-school ones, a lot of them were like uh, for uh, goose guns, they would call them, real long barrels. Marlin made some and all, but they're just not... To me, that's survival tool. When we look for survival tools, a shotgun, yeah, the double barrel has a certain um, intimidating effect. When lowered at the face of somebody trying to get through your front door, if you have time to do that, yeah. But it's the pump and the semi-auto. And I kind of have always vacillated between these two. There's this, The, the semi-auto has that, that rapid rate of fire. We don't have to pump. And, and people will point out things like, well, if you're injured, it's more difficult to cycle the action. You might not be able to. And they're not completely wrong. Or you may be in a situation where you have to fire the weapon one-handed and, and can't actuate it. And, and it's possible. 
And semi-autos are remarkably reliable. They, they can jam, but they don't really have any more propensity to jam than a pump, except since you're familiar with the pump, you're more familiar with the comp concept of clearing it. That can be rectified with training. I, the, the truth is, I think you're okay either way. I personally like pump guns, uh, but that's probably just because I've shot one. Like That was the first thing after I got past the... Uh, The, uh, the, the break action single shot 20 gauge that knocks the snot out of you that they always start kids out with and got a, let's say, a real shotgun in my hands. It was a pump. And I've gotten in the field with a pump where I can shoot as, as quickly on things like game birds or ducks or, or what have you as fast as any semi-auto shooter can because there's still target acquisition time. And the time between, let's say, on a double shot, taking the first shot and coming onto the second target to take the second shot There's so much time in that interval to work the, the slide. And once you start doing it and training with it and using it, you don't even think about it. You kind of come back with the recoil, and it happens very, very quickly. Now, if you put two shooters side by side that are, for all purposes, equal, extended magazine, give them each 10 rounds, and say just empty those in that general area over there as fast as you can, the semi-auto guy is going to win. It's a higher rate of fire, but does it really matter in most of these situations? The answer is probably no. The big advantage to a pump, though, for a lot of you guys that are out there that are asking this question, what do I do? How do I protect myself? How do I have this versatility? And I don't have a lot of money. Is right there on the cost side of the equation. A good 870, a good Mossberg 500, uh, Winchester pump gun, all of these pumps that are out there, you can get a lot of them for under $300 brand new, maybe $350-ish. Um, if you go to a gun show, and have a little bit of an idea what you're looking for, you can probably pick up an 870 Express, 3-inch chamber, you know, some, there'll be some barrel on there. Maybe it's what you're looking for, not what you're looking for. If it's got the rem choke, or if it's a Winchester, the wind choke system, where they screw in and out, it's got that versatility to it. And I'll talk about chokes in a second. Um, for $200, bucks all day long. I mean, there's just shock, used shotguns. It doesn't matter if it's beat up a little bit. Does it function? Does it work? They're all over the place, and they're very, very inexpensive. And that allows you to then invest money in ammunition and go shoot and learn to use the weapon well. It allows you to invest in a, a good quantity of ammunition for hunting and defensive purposes because I'd rather have you with a beat-up old shotgun with enough ammo and enough diversity of ammo to fill all of these roles than a really badass AR-15 that you've only shot two or three times because you can't even afford to go out and shoot it now because you spent the money on the gun. You put $1,200 into the gun, $500 into the sight. It's real easy when you start kitting up an AR to end up with $2,500, $3,000 sunk into it. Well, with $500-$600 buying smart and used, uh, I could have a person fully outfitted across the board with a pump-action shotgun. So that's, to me, where, it, where some of the good semi-autos, the 1187s, the Bernellis, the Franchis, whatever, uh, they, uh, they, they get to be quite expensive, the Brownings. Um, you know, the, uh, was it the Bernelli? That's the M4, I think, is the one the military uses, and we can buy basically the same weapon now as a civilian. Uh, I think they run, like, between $1,700, bucks. And that's pretty expensive. It's probably the best combat shotgun on planet Earth right now, as far as I'm concerned, anyway. And anything that's better ain't that much better. And uh, But it's expensive. And again, we're not breaching doors here. 
right? We're not in, you know, in Afghanistan going door to door in a hostile environment with, with five buddies on each other's back covering each other in all directions. And that's not what we're doing here. Um, if you are, then you, you know what to buy. And, and today's show is not really geared toward that mindset. It's geared toward the average everyday guy, the common man. I'm a gun broker right now, and if you want a Remington 870 Express, all different types of barrel lengths, uh, youth or adult, synthetic or wood, uh, there's some expensive customized ones and all that they've turned into super war machines or what have you with accessories that can be quite expensive, but a basic model, it's $330, $320, $340, somewhere in that range all day long. So that leaves an awful lot of funds for other prepping needs and having now this versatile tool that will do all of these great things for us. Now, let's talk about um, ammo for a minute. Uh, I am going to talk about four types of ammo very generically today because I think that the average person, that's what they need is a basic understanding and there's plenty of more research you can do and I could do a whole show just on shot sizes if, if I wanted to. Uh, and I don't, right? I, I think that would be an interesting show for people like me that are gun freaks, and for most of you guys it would be boring. So let's just talk about the basic way that a shotgun works in the first place with a load of shot, whether it's bird or buck. I just want you to understand how it works. I think most people do not understand how it works. I think most people think, well, a shotgun's got a whole bunch of BBs in it, and when you shoot it, they kind of come out in this this spray, and they think of it very two-dimensionally so if you put up a great big board and you shoot it and then you go over and there's like a spread that's let's say 30 by 30 you know about a 30 inch circle depending on how far away and how tight the choke on the on the gun was that those those all those pellets hit at the same time and that's not really how a shotgun works and it's why people maybe don't understand why they miss a target like a, a moving target like a bird or something and they're actually behind it or what have you when when a, a a shotgun is fired, the shot comes out with a something wrapped around it. Usually they're made out of plastic today. They've been made out of cardboard in the past and other materials. But as it comes out, that wad opens up and the shot begins to come free. And it does kind of spread, you know, left to right, up and down. But it also has some of the pellets will be traveling at a faster velocity and some at a slower velocity based on where they were. So it comes more in a string that opens up. So that if you could slow down film, and there's plenty of film probably on YouTube where you can watch this, you'd see that pellets are hitting and then more pellets and then more pellets and more pellets. They kind of come in a string. And to really understand the pattern of a shotgun, you would need to take something like a big long sliding door type thing and get it moving maybe 20, 25 miles an hour at least with a red dot on it and stand off at a distance, a shooting distance, let's say 15, 20 yards, take a lead on that dot just like it was a clay target, pull the trigger and shoot, follow through with your lead, and then when you stopped it and went and looked at it, you'd see your pattern was kind of training backwards, almost in a teardrop, right? So th that is how shot is deployed. For defensive purposes, it's not that important. When you start understanding lead and swing in the field on game, it becomes more important and you start learning why it's so critical. Keep your head down, stay on the target, follow through with your shot. But I think it's just important that we know how things work. 
And that that's important that we understand that it's not just this, this big flat piece of shot coming out. Now, a human being standing in a doorway trying to break in your house, right, or take something from you, doesn't move fast enough at a home defense range for that to matter. But I still want you to know it. Okay? Just because I think it's, like I said, it's important that we know how these things work. Now, when that shot comes out, there's one primary thing that determines what's called the density of the pattern. And there's some things to do with the load and how heavy the load was and all. But the biggest thing is the constriction of what's called the choke. Now, the choke is... If you were looking down the barrel of a shotgun, which you know really shouldn't be doing that, but if you have it cleared and you look down the barrel and you have the bolt open and you can see light through it, the very end, the business end of the weapon, the constriction is what's considered the choke. How small is that diameter? And we have these things you know today for hunting turkeys at extended range are like extra full, very, very tight. And what that does is it keeps that pattern dense longer so you have greater range. And you hit with more pellets, so you have more killing power. But it's not because it's going any faster. It's because there's more density of the shot. So if you had your hand up and somebody shot it with a shotgun from 25 yards, you might get a few pellets in it if it's a cylinder bore or an improved cylinder bore. And if it was a full choke, they might blow your hand off. And, you know, I talked about legs not getting blown off, but full turkey choke, you know, with like a number four, number six, bird shot at 20 yards with extra full choke, you might very well blow. At least your hand would no longer be recognized as a human hand. So that would seem like, well, better, more chokes better. But what's the trade-off? The trade-off is, okay, well, if I have a full choke and I'm shooting quail over dogs, then I blow the quail up. Or if I have a more open choke and a lighter load and I'm shooting quail over dogs, I'm able to pick the quail up and stick it in my game bag and take it home and eat it. Okay, so we have to adjust choke based on the role in the field. To me, the most uh, versatile choke is the improved cylinder choke. And I am going to talk about chokes a little bit more later. I just wanted you to understand that so as we go through the different types of ammo, you understand how they're affected by it. So first with birdshot, I pretty much explained how it's affected by choke. But what you need to know is the bigger the number, the smaller the shot. So, and what I mean is the shot is the little BB that's in there. Each individual one is a shot. It's a shot size. So if you have a number nine, it's a very fine shot. A lot of people use these for doves and quail, number nine shot. A lot of them use it for target shooting because there's lots of BBs. Lots of BBs, dense patterns, bigger spread, more likely to hit the target if you're a little bit off. But less killing power per shot unit. So if we shoot a deer at 25 yards with nine shot, uh, we've, we've wounded a deer that might die of infection later, but you, you ain't gonna kill it that way. And you've done really a horrible disservice to the animal. Cause it's not designed for that. Right? And this is why, you know, when Dick Cheney shot his buddy in the face, he didn't die. He shot him with birdshot. Okay? And I'm not picking on Cheney or no, I'm just saying this real world example of that playing out. If he had been hit with buckshot at that range, the guy would probably be dead. Because the shot size, as it gets larger, has more energy per unit. Right? The total energy, if every single pellet hits, is about the same, but each individual pellet can only penetrate so far based on its weight and its terminal energy. Got it? All right, so birdshot, smaller numbers mean bigger shot. So when we look at something like hunting squirrels, most people that hunt squirrels will hunt with either six or seven and a half shot, uh, which is Fairly decent sized shot, but still would allow you a decent spread. A lot of people hunt ducks 
We'll hunt ducks with six shots. Some will drop to four. We get into turkeys. People are generally dropping to four or two. Uh, goose, two or four. Uh, some, and then you can drop all the way to a BB size, which is about the size of the BB you put in a BB gun, but it's not the same thing. All right, so bird shot. That's and it's for what it sounds like: birds and small game. So we're talking about nothing bigger than you know maybe a rabbit, a pheasant, something like that. Buckshot is just much bigger shot, and, and buckshot has a range from uh, I believe number four to uh, what is it uh, triple lot. And so number four buck and number four bird are not the same thing. Number four bird shot is smaller in diameter than a, than a .177 caliber BB. Number four buckshot, in a, you know, when you talk about buckshot, you're looking at, I think, like 24 caliber. Uh, number three is like 25. Number two is like 27. Number one's like 30, 30-ish, I think. Zero's 32 caliber. Double O's like 33, I think. And triple O's 36. Right? I could be right, I could be wrong about that, but that's going to be the general range. So you get an idea that buckshot, when you want to turn it into caliber, think about rifle sizes, is running between 24 and 36 caliber. So obviously the bigger caliber, the more energy it can transfer at an individual unit and the more penetration we're going to get more killing power. But with the same trade-off with buckshot, you can fit a lot of number four pellets into a 12-gauge shell. Uh, I don't remember exactly how many. But it's probably somewhere between like 24, 27. And uh, we move up to something like double O, which is kind of the gold standard. And I think you're looking at about nine on the bottom end to 15 on the, maybe the upper end with like a uh, three inch uh, shell. And tr trust me, it's, it's definitely uh, a highly deadly round at the ranges it's intended for, no matter which one you're using. And double O is kind of the gold standard, especially with 12 gauges for, for a reason. But there is something to be said for the large volume of pellets with some of the lower buckshot sizes. And at defensive ranges, they're quite effective. I keep my 12-gauge for home defense loaded with double O buck. We also have a 20-gauge, which we keep loaded with number three buck, because in my, in my personal estimations, it's the largest buckshot size that's going to fit well into a 20-gauge. I think you get about 20 pellets there. And, uh, again, what you're looking at is, uh, 20, 25 caliber projectiles impacting, uh, a chest or a body at a home defense range. And it's, uh, pretty damn deadly. It's, it's certainly, even though you would think of like the 25 APC as like a mouse gun, and, and it really is, you've got more knockdown power in each one of those pellets than a 25 APC. And it's like shooting somebody 20 times at once with something a little bit better than that. So I, I do think that both of them are, are adequate for what they are. My wife uh, drills and trains with the 20-gauge, I with the 12. Uh, the 20-gauge is lighter, easier for her to handle. She's more comfortable with it. She'll shoot it better. And I damn sure wouldn't want to be on the wrong end if she's willing it, uh, for all of those that think the 20-gauge is not uh, man enough or whatever. Uh, even James Yeager says that the 20-gauge is a damn good home defense tool for just about anyone. Uh, that if you're good with a 12-gauge, you'll often be awesome with a 20-gauge. It might be better to be awesome with a 20-gauge than good with a 12 if it really comes down to the wire. I say shoot what you're comfortable with. Uh, and the big thing on this section here is understanding between bird and buck. Bird is not a good defensive tool. Um, but at home defense regions, it, it, it would definitely have a desired effect as well. If you shoot somebody in the face with six-shot, 
uh, at seven yards. For all intents and purposes, they're probably going to end up dead, and they're definitely going to stop doing whatever they're doing. Uh, Dave Canterbury is a big fan of six shot. I used to be before I looked at a lot of penetration tests on it. But his point to me was, you know what? If I shoot somebody in the groin with six shot, they're done. And I got to say, I, I kind of agree. But I think that buck is really the way to go for defensive uh, home defense loads. Now we get to slugs. Now slugs um, fill an interesting role. Slugs are basically turning your shotgun sort of into a rifle, but not really. The big thing is there's one projectile. A good old-fashioned 12-gauge, what I call a foster slug, traditional slug. It's just a big old chunk of lead shoved into the shotgun shell with a wad between the slug and the powder is about 72 caliber. Now, 72 caliber is a big hole. I've seen a lot of deer shot with shotgun slugs. I've never actually personally seen the damage done to a human being by one, but a deer is about the size of an adult male. You know, I'm talking 170, 180, 190 pound buck uh, white-tailed deer. Many of them hit with 12 gauge slugs at ranges of you know 25 to 50 yards. The damage is unbelievable when hit in the, the chest region, which is where you're, you're usually generally trying to take a shot, heart, lung area especially hit middle of the lungs, when you gut a deer that's hit with one of these things, what comes out is not lungs, it's jelly. It's black and red goopy jelly. I've seen deer hit with them, and I've seen many deer just immediately just fall over, just drop perfect you know, TV camera kills. I've seen deer hit with it, and I've seen them go a bit before they fall down, and when I've seen those deer gutted, I look at them and I go, I don't understand how that animal moved. It's something that's really hard to understand until you see it. The reason I bring it up as to be gruesome and gross is to point out the lethality of a big old honk of 72 caliber lead. Most 12-gauge slugs, foster-style slugs, weigh about an ounce. You'll see a one-ounce slug. That's 437 grains. To put that in context, your, your average projectile from your 5.56 millimeter, uh, your 2.23, your AR platform, is going to be somewhere between 55, 62 grains, something like that. Now, that doesn't mean it's not apples to apples, because there's a whole lot more velocity out of a rifle uh, than there is out of the shotgun. You're talking 13, 1,400 feet per second on the shotgun versus, you know, 2,800 or more feet per second out of some of the 223 stuff. You know, somewhere in the neighborhood, we look at something like a 3006 with 180 grain round. Look at somewhere like 2,700 feet per second. So there's a lot more overall energy to, to these rifle rounds because speed plus velocity equals energy, right? Um, but when we take something like that big slug, it's a lot slower moving, but it has a tremendous amount of kinetic energy. And you think about something, once you're looking at something 72 caliber, how much does it really need to expand to make a large wound channel? And the answer is not much at all, right? A lot of rifles, uh, the, 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 the bullet expands, won't expand out to that, to that diameter. But because it's soft lead, they do expand, even at these lower velocities. Um, it's like thinking about the mini balls back in like the Civil War. That's kind of what you're dealing with there. Now, the thing with the Foster Slugs is because they're coming out of a soothbore shotgun, they have a, a reputation for not being that accurate uh, with a lot of people who I think are misguided. I grew up with the concept planted in my head. Slugs were, and my, you know, the old man and my uncle called them pumpkin balls, you know, and they were just not accurate. So one day I get a box of these things. I was probably about 13, 14 years old, and I set up a Folgers coffee can on this stump that we used to shoot stuff out of, off of uh, right out of the back side of the house. 
and right from the porch out to where you could shoot was about 25 yards. So I walk back, I put one of these things in, and I figure I'll aim at the can, and there's no way I'm going to hit it. And boom, and the can just blows up. You know, it just doesn't explode, but it just turns inside out, rips the rips the crap out of it. So I go get my dad. I'm like, Dad, these things are accurate. Look, it's 25. I mean, it's not 100 yard accurate, but you know. And it's just an 870 vent rib shotgun, no special sights or nothing. He goes, Get out of here! I shoot on the can. He goes, Where were you? I'm like, He's like, No way. So, you know, we find something else to shoot at. We set it up. I shoot it. Boom, it blows up. He goes, give me that gun, you know, and we find something else to shoot at. And just about anything we would put out, you know, coffee can, beer bottle size at that range, both of us could hit it like every shot. And he goes, wow, these really are accurate. And and, and my whole take on slugs from that point forward uh, came down to this. Just because the shooter can't shoot doesn't mean it's the weapon's fault. And I'm sure that there are shotguns where the bag barrel is regulated in such a way that maybe the shotgun's shooting a little bit low and left. So if the guy never patterns it with slugs, he just misses. Instead of compensating or regulating the barrel back, which can be done with bending the barrel, and you really better know what you're doing if you're doing that. I think that's part of what has led people to believe that they're inaccurate. I think another thing is expecting too much out of it. So if the guy is shooting at 75 yards with a shotgun slug and he's never shot to that range with it before and he's got a smoothbore barrel and he's not that good of a rifle shot he's probably going to miss and he's going to say these damn slugs aren't accurate well you're exceeding the range for the platform and for the tool and you're not a good shot on top of it another quick story just to belay the the accuracy of foster slugs when shot properly a buddy of mine named uh, Heath and I that went to high school together We're kind of out walking around one day, doing a little bit of sort of hunting, and didn't really find anything to shoot at. And there was an old slush bank down, coal slush, which is like the waste, just disgusting stuff from, from coal mining. And uh, people would go out there and drink and booze and throw beer bottles. So we'd go by and find these beer bottles and pitch them and shoot them. And uh, so we're out there, and he's got his shotgun, I've got mine. And basically, when you get good, decent with a shotgun... If the guy throwing the bottle can get a good arc to it, you just wait till they're at the top of that arc and they pause, and you should be able to hit every single one of them. Uh, way easier than shooting clays or something like that. So I'm hitting like every bottle, and this guy couldn't shoot very well. He wasn't a terrible shot, but he wasn't a great shot. He had maybe like one out of freaking 20, I think, or something like that. And, you know, I busted like everyone. We were just basically out of shells at this point. And he goes, Look, I found one more shell. He goes, You shoot it. You're hitting them. I'm not. And I said, Okay, give it to me. And he goes, No, give me your gun. I'll load it for you. And I, I know what he's doing, right? I guess this is the kind of thing we do to each other. And he puts a slug in my gun, but he thinks I don't know. And I figure I'll miss, but whatever. So he gets one of those green Big Mouth Mickey bottles, if you know what they are. And he chunks this thing like just... I've never seen the guy throw throw a bottle this this high and arced. And I just wait for it, and it hits that spot where it kind of pauses before it starts to drop. And I pull the trigger, and the bottle disintegrates. I mean, it sounded like somebody hit it with a sledgehammer because that big slug busted it. And he stood there and he looked at me like, wow. And he goes, that was a slug. I said, yeah, I knew. And I played it off like, yeah, whatever, man. I can knock bottles out. And I don't think I maybe could replicate that shot over and over again. But when I just did it without any pressure, even though I knew what it was, and shot it the way that it was designed to be shot, I was able to knock a bottle out of the air with a slug. That's pretty dadgone accurate. Again, I don't think I can do it every time or anything, but it does demonstrate the inherent accuracy that's there at reasonable ranges. And I think for the purpose of a survival weapon, it's the ultimate tool 
for the shotgun is the Foster Slug when it comes to the things that you would need a slug for. Now, there's new slugs. I don't want to go deep into them today. They're not even new because they're 20 years old at this point. But they're, you know, what I consider the new style. They're using a Sabo, which is like a piece of plastic wrapped around them. They're using a projectile that's more akin to like a 45 caliber projectile. Um, a lot of them use projectiles that are very similar to the Sabo projectiles or the exact same ones that are used for Sabo projectile muzzle loaders today. They are designed to be shot mostly from shotgun barrels with a rifle twist in them with iron sights or a scope, and some of them will take the shotgun's effective range on, on medium-sized game out to about 200 yards. Um, they're fine for what they are, but if you need that, get a rifle. That's just how I feel. Um, if you kit your shotgun up, with a rifled barrel with sights or a scope, you can get, pull the barrel off and put another one on. But while it's that way, it's a rifle. So unless you're one of these people stuck in a place where they won't let you use a rifle for deer, I don't see much purpose for that. And again, it's not that it's not cool that they do that, but I can get a rifle that does that and actually does it better. I mean, is that on par with something like a .308? Is it, does it bring any of the real... Uh, advantages of a shotgun to bear, or is it just making the shotgun into a rifle because of a restriction? And, and that's how I feel it. The last one I won't talk about much today, but I do want to give you my thoughts on it, because I've had Frank Sharp on, and he has a completely different view on this than I do, and that's some of the shotgun less than lethal rounds. This is like rubber buck, rubber slugs, or maybe just two big rubber balls in a shotgun shell. They're designed to impact and sting and hurt, but they don't penetrate. Now listen, one thing you got to understand is just because it says less than lethal doesn't mean it's less than lethal. If you shot somebody at very close range, you could kill them, right? So it's not something you could, if somebody's breaking in your house, put it up against the guy's chest and pull the trigger at point blank range and not kill the guy. Um, there was a guy, I don't remember his name, but he was part of a TV series. He was making a movie back in the 80s. They had a prop gun on the set, a blank handgun. He put the blank handgun to his head. He pulled the trigger. The pressure pushed a piece of his skull into his brain and killed him almost instantly. But, you know, at 10 yards, 20 yards, these things sting, they hurt, they're probably not going to kill anybody, you can put an eye out, they're dangerous, they're not something you shoot at your buddy for, uh, you know, go out and play like a, an up, upgraded version of paintball or something stupid like that. But, to me, they do fill a role. Now, what Frank said is, if I'm in a situation where I have to pull a gun out, I don't have time to worry about what's loaded, and remember, do I have it loaded with less than lethal, or buck, or whatever? When I have that set up for defensive purposes, it's sitting with the same load every time, so that I know exactly what I'm dealing with when I pick it up. Completely agree there. To me, that doesn't you know, rule out less than lethal. Here's, here's why. Let's say we're in a breakdown situation. Let's say that we have this kind of like mob mentality going on, but we don't have people doing enveloping attacks without rule of law completely. What we have are people going around taking shit. Right? And there's a, and you do get the classic walk up and try to take your stuff from, from you. And pointing a gun at somebody doesn't work. They, they say, I don't think you'll do it. And you want to be clear that you'll do it. You have enough distance to slip one of these rounds in. And if you practice a little bit, you can get pretty good at removing one and slipping another one in and pelt the shit out of some people with this stuff. Or if you're in a situation where you have a group and one guy can do that, just to make it clear, I don't have to kill somebody. Right? Now, do I want to do that? I don't know. Here's the thing. People say, well, you, you know, then you get the law enforcement. Why'd you shoot? Look, look. You see, the problem with all of this, 
you know, armchair quarterbacking before the game is you don't know what you're going to deal with, how long it's going to be going on, what's going to be happening. And if you want to put me in front of a jury and ask and have and say that, you know, why did you shoot this guy with rubber buckshot and have my defense because he was threatening me, I felt endangered, but I didn't want to kill him unless I absolutely had to, I'll stand my dang court for that. I, I really, really will. Um, You may not feel the same way. It is how I feel. I think that the option works best in a multi-defender position where one person can take on that role in that particular scenario if it should happen to come up. And people say, well, bad guys don't just walk door to door or whatever. Sometimes they do. Sometimes mobs just move around. You, you see it all the time. And if you have a mob coming down the street... And uh, you pepper the crap out of them with some rubber buck, they might just go bother somebody else for a while. And, and you can live with the fact knowing you didn't kill anybody when you didn't have to. Now the probability that this is going to occur, very low. I would say it's probably less than 1% that when deploying a weapon you would have the time and, and the inclination to utilize the option. My view of it though is it's inexpensive, it's widely available, and... For the 1% potential, why not have the ability to utilize it? Why not have the ability to fall back to it? And for those who would say, well, what if the police arrest you because you shot somebody it turns out you were in possession of blood? Don't give it to them. You know, really? I mean, some of you guys, you need to think, right? You need to think for yourselves here. I had the same objection to pepper spray over and over again. Well, Jack, if you have pepper spray and you're in a confrontation, you don't have time to use that, and you draw your gun and you shoot the guy, and they say... You know, don't volunteer that you had pepper spray on you, right? Maybe get rid of it while you're waiting for the for the for the crime scene guys to show up or what have you. Um, or maybe just you know don't worry about it. Why? Because because let me tell you something. If you're involved in a shooting, it's either justified or not, and it ain't going to be based on whether or not you had another option uh, on in your possession. It'll be based on what the options were when you were confronted with it. So if somebody's trying to kill you with a knife and you shoot them, well. He should have brought a knife to a gunfight. I know, I know. Now some of you armchairs out there are going, the knife is deadlier at, you know, 10, 10 yards and less. Yeah, only if you know what you're doing with it. And I'm sorry for being a little bit hard on people there. I'm, I'm still dealing with this sickness, guys. I'm doing my best today. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, but seriously, I do think the less than lethal has a place. I just think it's the propensity for it to be used is quite low. And I would never, when I have a weapon kitted up for self-defense and it's, it's, it's loaded, stored somewhere, I would never have it loaded with less than lethal rounds. Uh, that's where Frank and I agree. It just doesn't mean that I would never use less than lethal rounds if the opportunity was uh, presented to do so. And many a young man who tried to steal corn in the fall might have felt the wrath of uh, rock salt on an ass. I'll just let you know that. I, I want to kind of wrap up now with kind of what the home defense shotgun looks like and, and different options for it. In its most basic form, you're looking at something like a 12-gauge 870 or a semi-auto uh, of your choice, Mossberg 500 for another pump option. I, I really don't care. I personally like the 870. I think it's one of the most proven uh, shotguns around. I think the parts availability is huge. Uh, but something like a, a shorter barrel version, 24-inch, 26 at the most, 18-inch even, improved cylinder choke. And I think for home defense, the 18-inch barrel kind of is kind of the sweet spot for that. Um, and the reason I say an improved cylinder choke is it's the most versatile. I can shoot birdshot with reasonable densities at you know reasonable ranges, 
for you know hunting birds. And yeah, there might be if I'm out in the field hunting ducks and they're flying a little further out, I might want to tighten up the way they call a modified. But improved cylinder will do the job. And it'll, it's still open enough that it does a really good job with Foster-style slugs that we've talked a lot about. Uh, and it's going to do just fine with buckshot at home defense ranges. So to me, that's kind of the most basic setup. And that can be, again, had for $300 bucks brand new, $330 bucks brand new. Now, what we can also do is we can look at consider multiple barrels or variable chokes. So we can have a good 18-inch, uh, you know, kind of like what you'd call a police barrel for our 8.7. By the way, that comes in an improved cylinder choke. And I want to hear a little bit about barrel length here as we're talking about this. The reason for a longer barrel than a shotgun has very little to do with velocity. Once you get up to about 18, 20 inches of barrel length in a shotgun, adding six inches doesn't add a hill of beans difference to the velocity of what comes out the end of it. By the time you hit that 18, 20 inch range with most conventional loads, the powder is fully burned, the projectile is doing what it's doing. But when you have a longer sighting radius, especially when wing shooting, That longer sight radius is more likely to make you keep what they would say your head down on the barrel, a tight cheek weld, the sighting plane flat, and that results in more hits. Because what happens with shorter barrels is people don't notice their head coming up, they don't notice that the sighting plane is changing, and they bring their head up and that brings the back of the, of the weapon down. Now if you bring the back of the stock down just a little bit, you have over the length of the weapon, think about uh, if you're holding a pencil, and you bring the back down a little bit, how much the front moves up in the front, right? So it has a magnified effect. So what happens is people shoot over the target. So you're a lot more likely to stay on bead, so to speak, with a longer sighting plane. Does it mean you can't do really well wing shooting with an 18-inch barrel? So if we take a Remington 870 shotgun with an 18-inch improved cylinder choke barrel on it, we pretty much have a gun that just sitting there is like the samurai sword. It won't do everything perfect, but it does everything adequate. Everything. Birdshot, foster slugs, we've got rifled sights on it. Now, rifled sights and wing shooting. It doesn't matter, you can shoot rifle sights with wing shooting. You keep your head down the same way. I've done it with weapons set up that way, shooting birdshot out of them. You can hit very, very consistently. It's a little different. It takes a little bit of getting used to, but you're still putting, it's not like you're putting out a slug, right? You're putting out birdshot with that, that, that nice spread to it. So that's really kind of a do-it-all, you know, weapon. Now, what we can do is then we can, if we can buy that weapon already configured that way, Or buy more of a hunting version of that weapon, something like a 26-inch barrel with with uh, what they call the rem choke system or whatever manufacturer you're dealing with. So this is where we can change the chokes out. Little tube screws into the end of the barrel. I can go from a cylinder bore all the way up to extra full. So if I have one hunting barrel, you know, and, and I like shorter barrels even for hunting. I like 24-inch barrels when you can find them. Because when you're going through tangled brush and all, it's just easier to get through. It weighs less. And to me, 24 inches is plenty of sighting plane. 26, you know, but most guys you'll see in the field with a shotgun hunting doves and birds are out there with that 28-inch barrel. I don't like it. If you do, it's okay. So you've got your hunting barrel and you, let's call it your police barrel because that's what they, they market it as. And all we have to do is remove the thumb screw out the end of the, the barrel, yank one off, shove another one on, put it back on. We can leave it at home. And it's defensive posture with that shorter barrel on it. And if we want to use it as a hunting tool, we can take it out and wing shoot with it. We've got the same gun and all we do is swap the barrels. And we can have all the versatility in that hunting barrel by changing the cylinder chokes. 
There's some other options, though, that we can use if we want to. Let's say we really want to improve the long-range capability of a slug shotgun. Uh, there's something called a saddle mount scope ring. Millet makes some really good ones that are actually see-through, meaning you could actually shoot looking under the scope using the sighting plane of the gun at more of a wing shooting or come up a little bit and shoot through the scope, zeroed in for your slug shots. Uh, I have had good luck with them. They, they do hold zero well. Uh, they generally need a little bit of tweaking when they're removed and put back on, but they are very close to zero when they go back on, and they don't move around a lot. They use the pins that, that, that you know, hold the receiver uh, together on your shotgun to hold the mount on, and, and they work fairly well uh, as well. So there is that option. The big thing is don't overbuild it. I've seen guys with shotguns with a bayonet on it and tactical lights and lasers and all kinds of crap. Um, a flashlight, I have a, a real understanding of why you might want a, a, a flashlight mounted on your, on your shotgun. You can see what you're shooting and know whether or not you should be pulling the trigger. If you want a bayonet on your shotgun, I'm not going to stop you, but I don't get it. I, I really don't. You know, and heat shields and all this other stuff. You want to kid up like that, you want to go out and play Rambo or whatever, that's fine. But I think that most people would be hugely well served by just a, a, a relatively short-barreled, improved cylinder pump shotgun. And then learn to run the gun. I, I think that's the bigger thing than all the stuff you can do with it. You give a guy a, a basic 870 with a reasonably length barrel so that it will work in a home defense situation... And you get him out and you teach him to shoot bird with it. You teach him to be accurate with slugs, to be able to clear malfunctions quickly, make swap outs of ammunition, know where to hold on longer shots with slugs because he's familiar with it. And, and that guy's a damn deadly guy. You know, that's another one of those guys I'd like to have on my team. And that can be you because it's not expensive to practice. It really isn't. And it's, it's a very instinctive weapon to shoot. One thing to realize about the shotgun The shotgun was not originally built as a precision tool. The way that they're designed, the way that they're balanced, they're designed to be an instinctual pointing weapon. Now we have to come a little bit tighter on that when we go to a single projectile load like a slug, but the instinctual pointing uh, way that a shotgun is designed, if we don't overkit it, put a whole bunch of crap on it, all kinds of fancy sights and scopes and stuff, is still there. And it's why I find it to be the ultimate survival tool. I know people will disagree with me, and that's okay. Um, but I throw this challenge out to anybody that says it's not the case. Tell me another weapon that I can take anything from a chipmunk up to a black bear or an elk with. At, let's say, 50 to 100 yards maximum range on my big game. And, you know, much shorter ranges, let's say 20 yards out to 30, 35 yards with, with birdshot on my smaller game. That can also serve as a home, home defense tool that has the same reputation for one-shot stopping power that can also fire less than lethal rounds and that I can buy for under $400. Tell me what that is. I want to know. I really do. <laughs> That's why I say it's the, uh, the ultimate survival tool. Hopefully it's given you a new look at it. And I did this episode today... Uh, in spite of the fact I'm really feeling still like crud, and I know that it's not the best work that I've ever done, and I apologize for that, but I wasn't about to let us go two days in a row without a show, uh, and I think I could do a better job of this particular subject, but I do hope it helps a lot of you that are out there that feel like you're not well protected, that you need to kind of you know come up a level on the defensive side of things. And I want to add to that, I think it would be a great idea if you're going to go this route 
to go to like Frank Sharp Jr. school or if you're somewhere where you can't get there uh, to another school and take a good tactical shotgun course. And, you know, don't feel the need to bring pistol stock, laser pointed, all kinds of crap shotgun to it. Good stock, short barreled shotgun, maybe sights on it, maybe not. Talk to your instructor, tell them what you want out of the course and get familiar with the weapon. And get out there and, and, and learn and take some training. Because I think a lot of you guys that are asking this question, you're lacking in two areas, not one. You're lacking in a defensive tool, but you're also lacking in the defensive skill set. And I think it's very important that you kind of hone up on both. But before you worry about going out and buying that main battle rifle, because all of the cool kids on AR15.com have one, ask yourself what you really need. Again, I'm not putting those implements down. They're specialized tools. And for the areas that they're, they're intended to be used in, for the, the, the things that they're intended to be used for, they are the best tool for the job. They do not have the versatility. They do not have the versatility of the shotgun. Again, there's nothing that can go from chipmunk to moose that I know of and put food on the table or defend a home with reliable one-shot stopping or killing power like the shotgun. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. There's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess And we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way
shoes.